0: Hey guys, this is an old episode that we are re-releasing in honor of the late, great Kevin Conroy. Please enjoy.
1: What, you want me to teach you something? You want to learn something? You talking to me? Just talking? Well, what's the show about? It's about nothing.
0: Hi, and welcome to another episode of Much Talk About Nothing, a show about movies, music, and more, where we continue on our endless journey in search of something to talk about. As always, I'm your host, Grant Ingram, and joining me today we have a very special guest, Kevin Altieri. How are you doing? Um I'm fine. I'm glad to be
1: here. Um I didn't know I was that special.
0: <laughs> We're very happy to have you on. We also have my co host, everybody, it's Grant Skillen. You've heard him before. How are you doing, Grant? I'm doing good. How are you, Grant? I'm doing great. I'm super excited to get to talk to both of you. Um, we all know you're more excited to talk to Kevin. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I haven't done a great job of hiding that excitement. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's okay.
1: I had, I'm glad that people, people know who I am.
0: Oh, yeah. Um, I've been seeing your name for the last 12 years since I was old enough to remember. Every any or uh, I can speak since I was old enough to remember any cartoon I I've ever seen just uh, seen your name. Well, thanks. So, (laughs) So how did you get into animation? Like, what's your backstory?
1: Uh, How did I get into it? Um, well, back in the 80s, um, I was uh, when I first came out to California. I was working in uh, special effects mostly um the first jobs I got were uh in um special effects for a lot of cheap movies you know some of them were you know I worked for Intervision designing special effects like the the uh, they had a beam splitter system which actually goes way back to um King Kong but what Intervision had was they had giant vista vision cameras that they had bought from disney and i guess a lot of them went to china but they had uh so they had like these really excellent systems to set up uh where they they could make an actor look like he's in this vast environment so these are a lot of movies like i worked i think the first one i worked on was megaforce and if you remember that one
0: <laughs> i don't know if i've ever seen it um well, i'll go you, look it up not,
1: you're not know, missing too much. <laughs> I'll need them. <laughs> and, and like, uh, what was the other one I actually got to meet Oliver Reed on was, uh, and John Travolta. I got to meet wow. John Travolta on, um, two, uh, was it, yeah, Two of a Kind with him wow. and Olivia Newton. Uh, yeah. I, had, I had Scatman Crothers was on it, and you know, I, so they did a lot of things where they could, uh, where the devil would actually freeze time, and Oliver Reed played the devil, so you know, the actors would be moving around inside of this environment where everything stopped. And they, so there was a lot of shots in there that needed to be designed. And, oh, God, you devil, that was another one, you know, that they did a lot of that, intervision shots. shots. Um, anyway, but I worked, um, I met the Kyoto brothers there, and I worked on movies like Killer Clowns from Outer Space, and That's I worked awesome. for David Allen on things like Robot Jocks. And I did storyboards um, and uh you know effects design and uh, prop design and design giant robots and things like that and um I had always been interested in animation. I was a big animation fan. I didn't know who Miyazaki was, but I was a huge fan of his because I would buy the uh film books at in little Tokyo and over at the northridge mall um and so I would read, I didn't read Japanese, but I would follow him and I thought that Miyazaki, this guy is like a god, you know. And obviously he was influenced by the Fleischer Brothers and I was a big fan of the Fleischer cartoons. And uh I heard, after all that, you know, it's like, and, and I grew up, I grew up, like you guys, um I grew up on Johnny Quest and was a huge fan of that. So I, you know, so... Special effects, live action, animation. I love both. Um, getting into animation in the eighties was more difficult unless you basically had enough money to go to college for it, which I did not. I went to one year of school in Boston at the art institute and another year, um, two years at the cubert school, but you know, where I learned comics stuff and uh, drawing but no taught animation so but on the job i learned storyboarding and what i had to do and uh i did a lot of designs for stop motion animation uh, a lot of you know did boards for stop motion animation with dave allen and then um i heard about deke opening up in uh, los angeles and I was, uh, again, even then I was watching Inspector Gadget, which had some very nice animation in it. And I'd see at the end, you know, DIC. And I knew they were a Japanese French company, but they opened up offices. Someone told me that they opened up offices in, um, Studio City, which was not far from where I was living. And, uh, I went to the address, found out the address and I went there and walked in and I had my, uh uh my stop motion animation portfolio and I walked in and uh knocked on the door. The door was open because it was hotter than hell inside the place. It was just a storefront that they had converted. And there was no one there. I could hear echoes, you know. <laughs> and I just walked in and said, Hello? Anyone home?" anyone home? And uh there was three guys like huddled over a drawing board. They had some they had just moved in some furniture, not a whole lot. And uh He said it was Rudy Zamora who was one of the producers of, uh, he he was doing a show called kid video. I don't remember that.
0: I've seen a couple of episodes of it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Anyway, so I walked in and, uh, they said, what are you doing here? And I said, well, um, are you guys hiring? It's like, yeah, we're hiring. What what do you do? Well, I do storyboards, you know, um, you know, you know, so you got any samples? Yeah. And I, brought them over and there was no, no animation samples in my board. You know, it was just stop motion monster stuff. And, uh, they took a look at it and said, well, can you start? And I said, what right now? Yeah. We don't, we need people right now. (laughs) Well, uh, can I come back in the morning? (laughs) You know, let me go home and take a shower or something first. Anyway, they hired me on Kid Video and that was how I got to start. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. And it, and I learned, um, there was guys there like, uh, Eddie Fitzgerald, you know, and, uh, who, you know, had been working in animation already, you know, Hanna Barbera and places like that. So they, they helped me out. And of course, uh, the, uh, French and Japanese directors really helped me out too, you know. Right. So I could do. I could work really fast, and uh, I actually, re- luckily, I really enjoyed doing animation. So that's how oh, wow. I got into animation. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It. It was the 80s, though. The 80s were a different time. I can yeah. tell.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yeah. No. So well. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say you mentioned you did storyboarding. Um yeah. like what exactly is that like? Like how much control do you have, I guess? Um, um Well, storyboards really really
1: are essential to uh animation. They tell the story. It, I mean, I worked at Disney feature um where you're doing story sketch um which is still it's storyboarding. It's still. Back then we did storyboards on paper and now Generally, you do it in you know, formats like either Photoshop or Storyboard Pro. Um, still the same skill sets. Drawing is drawing. Right. And uh, if they tell you that in animation that uh, your drawing doesn't have to be good, it just has to be, you know, they're lying. Because <laughs> the animation that you send overseas, it comes back looking like what you drew. It, from, from way back then. I mean, it's like it, it, um, the, especially like from the fir- very first days at, uh, Deke, where there were times when the animation would come back looking exactly like the storyboard, you know? Yeah, wow. so.
2: Which can be a good thing. It could also be a bad thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, a lot of, a lot of storyboarding, um, it, it's very, it's very important and it's essential, uh, to the process and if my advice to anybody who wants to be a director um you have to master storyboarding and the problem with storyboarding is people go into it a lot of people go into it thinking oh well this is just you know just bang out some drawings it's like oh yeah so that's easy look how loose that is they'll look at miyazaki storyboard oh look how loose it is well it's not that loose. Even if the drawing style is loose, it's still um, describing everything that needs to be described. Storyboards control everything. Um, it establishes what the characters do, what expressions they have. Um, the character design already probably, not always, but probably the character designs in the backgrounds so already exist. So you're putting those in. But what is the character doing, what's happening with the environment he's in, what's the background, all that stuff is essential, and it's all on the storyboard. And uh, especially if you're working in formats like uh, Storyboard Pro, you are also establishing the timing, you know, how long the shots are. And so essentially a storyboard artist must have the attitude that they are the director, even if they're not the director. You kind of are. You're, you're in charge of your sequences.
0: Okay. So. so how does how does direction differ from storyboarding? Like, what what does that add to it? Um, you work with voice actors, or how is it how is it different? Oh,
1: if you're the director, you're working on every aspect. You're involved in every aspect of the show um, or movie. Probably uh, feature films, you're involved even more but even if you have a voice director for voices um you're, you're you're at the recording and you are hearing the actors and you're helping your part of your job is to pick the uh the uh, um lines that come out the way you want them to or if you even if you're not doing that you're listening to what the actors are doing and you kind of have an understanding that goes into your racial memory. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to constantly be listening to the voice track, you know, because sometimes you'll start recording and you don't have a voice track. Quite often that happens because the schedule just will not allow, you know, the schedules for almost all shows, especially nowadays, are very short. So it's kind of essential that you're involved in the voice direction too. You're not doing, you're not necessarily the voice director. But you're sitting there listening and, uh, picking the, uh, the takes that you want, you know, by the actors. And also getting to know the actors helps a lot. You know, it's, uh, that especially like on Batman, say on Batman, the animated series. Mm-hmm. It was just, um, after the first few times you hear Kevin Conroy, you know, act. You know what the performance is going to be, you know, and you can, and you can talk with confidence to the actors, you know, yeah, that just as an example. You know. So you got to know those guys pretty well. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. No, I was, um, well, not this year, but last year I was actually at, uh, at the uh, East Coast Comic Con uh the run by cliff galbraith he he's the guy i did rap bastard for cartoon i worked on he you no know, adaptation of his uh, comic book and now he's running these uh, big conventions in the east coast and last year um they had andrea romano and kevin conroy and diane pershing who is like one of my one of my friends and one of my dearest friends she's she's a wonderful person uh, you know, voice of poison ivy and Lauren right. Lester, who I hadn't seen since Batman was wow. there. He's like living in New York. It was like, and, uh, oh, just, it was just, just fun, you know. So yeah. That sounds you get, They're, they're, they're a, they're a really unique, great group of people, you know, and, and it's in, and, uh, there, there are guys like that I really miss. I really miss Bob Hastings. Um, He actually, he was like one of my uncles, because you go to the recordings, and, you know, Gordon's on every one of them, Mm -hmm. and uh, you go in these, you walk in, and Bob Hastings would be like, how's your dad doing, you know? Hey, man, hey, kid, how's it going? You know, he he was just one of those guys. Every time you'd see him, it was just like coming back to family. Oh, got to get to work, you know, and he'd go into the booth, and they'd perform, and come out, and say, so tell me about, how was your Thanksgiving, you know? Wow. Yeah, no, that that was like the, there was a really good crew. Ephraim Zimbalist Jr. was another fantastic guy, you know. And then, yeah, and then and, well, and Mark Hamill. I mean, I'll still anything like on Gen 13 or whatever, anything, and then and Stripperella. Any chance I get, I'll hire Mark Hamill. You know, no. you, you just want to have him around. He's just. He's just such a good actor
0: and he's just such a good guy. You know, and he, and he's a fan of all this stuff like we are. Yeah. Everything I've ever heard about him, he seems to be very much a a fan first. Um, yeah. Yeah.
1: But anyway, yeah, it's like he's more than just the Joker.
0: Yeah. Just his IMDb is crazy to scroll through everything he's ever done. I mean,
1: he's still, I was working with, um, Another voice, uh, director, Ginny McSwain, I was working with her on, um, Rescue Bots, Transformer Rescue Bots, which is more of a little kid-friendly mm-hmm. transformer show. But Mark Hamill was on that crew too. And those were like, and those are guys like Maurice LaMarche, you know, just, just people you've worked with over the years. Just those guys that have like a billion voices in them. just, wow. just, uh, just a great, Great. It's that's that's the best stuff is when you get an ensemble cast that comes back week after week and you get to go to the recordings, uh it's kinda like you become part of their family and it's really wonderful.
0: Wow. I can't imagine experiencing something like that. Those guys were always kind of idols to me growing up. Um Well, they're idols to me too. Yeah. <laughs> but but they're human beings, you know? Yeah. Huh. Um, speaking of idols, though, um, I have a friend who's a really big Pearl Jam fan, and um, I told him we were going to interview you, and he, he asked me um, what it was like, kind of working with Pearl Jam on *Do the Evolution*. Um,
1: that, that was um, that was that was a pretty, you know, it's like working. The weird thing is, is like working with uh, Eddie Vedder, mm-hmm. Lizzie. He- it was like shocking how easy it was to please him, because MTV <laughs> MTV pretty much uh, objected to almost every single image uh, that's on the video. But uh, yeah, no, that was that was like a it was like the worst of times and the best of times, because I got a phone call from uh, Joe, whose studio um, Epoch Inc. did it. And I got a call from Joe and saying, you know, I can, I think I can get this job, this Pearl Jam job, you know, to do a rock video. And I'm like, well, cool. It like, sounds great. You know, count me in. What, what does it need? Said, well, the problem is, we've got 12 weeks. I'm like, 12 weeks? Are you insane? You can't. <laughs> Are you insane? It's like you're nuts. And it's like, who's doing this? It's like, well, Todd McFarlane, he has, you know, he's gotten his job. And I said, well, that kind of makes sense because because it's Spawn. But I mean, I mean, like, really, twelve weeks? It's like you can't have a twelve week schedule. You're crazy. I mean, you don't even have, we don't even have a drawing. I don't even know what song you're talking about. (laughs) And then he goes, no, no, it's not twelve weeks production. It's twelve weeks to the air date. And I'm like, what? (laughs) This is, it's impossible. You can't do it. Forget it, man. You're nuts. Anyway, <laughs> so I got, but Joe says, please, look, you can do this. I've, we've done stuff like this before. I've seen you at Deke. You can do this. It's like, well, whatever. I go and I buy the CD and I listen to the song. And as I'm listening to the song, I'm going, well, you know, well, it's a like, yep, this is, it's, this is a good song. Do the evolution. And I'm like, I get it. Do the evolution, you know, and lyrics are great. It's like, and it's got like this nice rhythm, a nice flowing rhythm to it. Da, 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 da. Then I said, Oh no, and that could be shot, to shot. And then you get to the hallelujah chorus. And suddenly in my brain, I go, Oh, if you were in France in 1913, you know, a little girl in France. You'd be just playing in these wonderful Elysian fields, like a Rembrandt painting or an NC Wyeth painting. It'd be, you know, this wonderful life. And then the next year it's hell on earth. You know, yeah. it's World War one. And, uh, that moment I went, okay, sign me up. We can do it, but we have to hit the ground running. And I talked to uh, Joe gave me Todd's information and. T- you know, and gave Todd my information. and Todd calls me up and, you know, and I basically convinced him that it can be done. But we all have to be in agreement that we're going to have to hit the ground running and we are going to have to cut some, figure out how to cut out some of the uh, process in order to get it done on time. So what we did was we just started uh, going, you know, Image to image to image with the crew at, you know, Epoch and, you know, pinned it up story, you know, (laughs) story sketch swap style on the wall and, uh, figured out, well, we're just going to have to do the storyboards and the storyboards are going to eliminate the uh, layout, the entire layout process. There'll be no animatics. We're just going to ship the storyboards overseas. To the studios, um, and in Korea, Korean studios, and we're gonna just go from the finished storyboard straight into animation. And each of the shots is designed with fooling, fooling you that there's a lot of animation, but there really isn't much because of the nature of the song. There are beats in each of the beats. Lends itself to a moment. So we'll make the moments look as good as possible and with as little animation as possible. But trying to fool the human brain, they'll be hearing the song, but trying to fool the human brain into, uh, you know, (laughs) into that they're seeing a lot more than they actually are. And, uh, of course the song is enigmatic and, um, I, my pitch to, uh, Eddie Vedder (laughs) was, well, we're gonna tell the history of mankind in four minutes, and Eddie (laughs) Vedder goes for stoners. And I'm like, right, yeah, (laughs) mankind in four minutes for stoners, (laughs) perfect. That is amazing. That 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 was a lot of drawing, but it was like there was uh, there was good artists too, you know. That worked on it, you know, Young Yoon was one, you know, Brad Coombs, you know, mm-hmm. Jim Mitchell. Um, yeah, there was just the essential. And, and it's like in the, in the animation studios overseas, uh, Sun Min and e animation did, you know, they, they just, they, they got it done on time. And, uh, without layouts, that's amazing. Cause if you skipping, you shouldn't be, you shouldn't be skipping the layout process, but the boards
0: were finished artwork. That is so. just crazy. Like I, I can't believe that, like you guys got yeah. that done in twelve weeks. Well, then I
1: did. If anyone goes online and looks at Rap Bastard, which um
0: uh, Ed Newmeyer,
1: I was like, uh, Ed Newmeyer is working for Imagine Television, you know, Ron Howard's company. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ed Newmeyer wrote RoboCop and Starship Troopers. He contacted me, uh, to do, you know, this cartoon for Universal Television. I don't know if you remember the Universal Television Network. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, exist anymore. I, I mean, it I doesn't. Exist. Yeah. It's like, that's why the show isn't on the airs because they canceled the whole network was gone. And, but Rat Bastard, if you look at that, that's, uh, I think you can catch it on online. Uh, that was done in 10 weeks. <laughs> if i hadn't done and if i hadn't done uh the pearl jam video it wouldn't have dawned on me to do this but i was like yeah well 10 weeks well that's two weeks shorter (laughs) involving a a cgi studio sun i went over to sun min who had done gen 13 and they had done batman too uncredited they worked for don yang they did like the demons quest and uh couple of those episodes. Uh, You did Demon's Quest. I'm trying to think specifically. Night of the Ninja, I think, was one of theirs too. And Mask of the Phantasm is Sun Min Anime*. That is Sun Min. So I got them to do the Rat Bastard in 10 (laughs) weeks. And by attaching a uh, full CGI company to them, they were able to do it because the CGI company is used to doing CG modeling. And if you eliminate the modeling part from the process, they ended up being able to do it in very fast and very convincingly.
0: Wow, that yeah. is no, that's it's even, even more
1: cow rat bastard
0: i'll um I'll be looking that up when we get done recording yeah, it sounds okay. look forward to that actually now so glad granted...
2: knowing how little time was put into that now I'm interested too <laughs> yeah. So I have a question. What is your favorite project that you've ever worked on? You seem like you had fun talking about those last two, so I'm wondering if it's one of them.
1: Well, like I said, it's, I mean, because of the situation you you're find yourself in, um, it takes a lot of the joy out of it while you're working on it. Um, certainly Batman yeah. was a lot of, was, was really a pleasure um gen 13 was a pleasure to do i mean not always there's problems you're you're in charge of something but on gen 13 i um had an office in santa monica near my home and uh i was a block from the beach where i'd go surfing every day um i mean there are days you can't go surfing but you know almost every day and uh you know i got to do you know a feature film feature length animated superhero story um that was actually a really good experience that was a good job there are bad parts to everything you know there's arguments and stuff that you always go through it's like that's 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 yeah. the process of making films i guess i mean i don't want to get in arguments but it just happens <laughs> anyway right but but probably Batman. i, I you know because Batman. um was one of the first times, I mean, there was a lot of fun at Deke and a lot of the people that I worked with starting at Deke, um, like Dan Reba, Brad Rader, um, Mike Gogan, you know, the list goes on, John Calmet, Ted Blackman. Um, we all ended up working together on Batman. The difference between that, like on, at Deke, we were all, Try, one thing we all had in common was always trying for quality. Mm-hmm. You know? And you're working with animation studios that sometimes could really deliver it. Like some of the episodes of Kid Video and Alf and Alf Tales came out very well. Um, some of them. And you, you'd see like a lot of hope. And then when we started working for Warner Brothers on Batman, um, there actually was like that much more of a reward when the animation came back and it ended up looking good. Like on leather wings, when it came back the first episode, you know, you don't want to do it, you know, in public, but you go, like, yes. Yeah.
2: Just the relief (laughs) of like, this actually is working. Like we're actually making something good.
0: Yes. That animation is just, Amazing. Like I I know what you're meaning because I've seen that show three times. It, it's just stunning every time. Oh, well thanks.
1: Uh, yeah, and there were and there were ones that surprised me, like Clayface um, Feet of Clay Part 2. I mean I sent that storyboard out and I'm looking at it like I have no right to ask any animation studio to do this, but you know, here it goes, and you just cover your eyes and send it. And TMS uh, knocked it out of the park, and i that was probably Bruce and I, I remember us in the editing bay, and I just remember a couple of retakes where, like, a stairwell sign was spelled wrong, and we just couldn't find anything wrong with it. It's like pretty much that's the work print that got made into the final episode. The animation was just so good. Wow. Yeah, and and two part one, uh, TMS again. Man, they did a good job. Yeah, right. It, yeah, that's. I mean, it, so that that's like that 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 was kind of like for all of us. That was kind of like the fruition that finally like you
0: crossed over into something. Looking at it, I didn't realize it was multiple studios. I thought it was just the one. I I guess I thought it was TMS, but.
1: No, no, there was, um, there was actually, uh, again, the, uh, DIC connection. Wow. When I first started there, they hadn't made a deal. Um, Ann Lighting was the production manager. Um, and they brought Ken Doerr, who also came from Deke. He was a, I don't know if he was a producer at Deke, but I think he was a producer at Warner Brothers. Um, he could have been a producer there. Anyway, but Ken, was one of the translators very early on at Deke. He was one of the first guys I knew. And he was fluent, you know, in Japanese, American English, you know, just, you know, he he just was like the guy who communicated. And uh, they hired him. And what happened was we were talking about, you know, because I think Tiny Toons was done by... I can't remember who. It could have been ACOM, which was kind of a crummy studio at the time in um, Korea, and TMS. Uh, So I think they were kind of talking to TMS, and TMS said no to Batman. No. Not interested. They wanted to keep doing, they loved doing Tiny Toons, and they wanted to just keep doing Tiny Toons. Which I could understand. I mean, Tiny Tunes is pretty damn good. Mm-hmm. So we got, um, you know, Ken and Ken and Anne, they knew the same people in Japan that I did, you know. And so Ken, I believe, got a hold of fukuda san um, mm-hmm. who was, uh, worked for a studio called Kurumi, which I don't think was in existence anymore, but he formed Spectrum in Japan just to do Batman. And his episodes were, well, on leather wings. Yeah. It's like one of the best. Um, and he did a POV, which I think as far as like established, you know, kind of trying to get that Fleischer look to the cartoon. Um, mm-hmm. uh, POV, I think succeeds better than any, anything, you know. And right. that was, a that was Spectrum animation. And then oh. ACOM slipped in there. And, and the thing is, is like, uh, on Last Laugh, I'd worked with ACOM a lot at Deke and I did not like them. They were like one of the studios I really did not like because, you know, they had, they had a lot of trouble drawing things. But on, I think it was because TMS was in the wings there and they were in competition with other studios that they actually came up and Last Laugh was actually quite a good job. The original voice, by the way, of the Joker was Tim Curry, who I got to meet. That's good. Cool. Which was, yeah. Oh, man. For my generation, <laughs> it was like, you know, people can't really appreciate, I mean, I guess you can, how important to everyone, uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show was. You know? Yeah. For, for back when you're like, geek nerd culture and all of a sudden this movie shows up and it's just over the top and it's made it's just aimed from that theme song right through it's just aimed right right between your your eyes you know the the nerd fan fanboy fangirl eyeballs and uh yes i got to meet frankenfurter in person wow And he's a great Joker too, by the way. He just couldn't continue the job. He had, he had uh, other prior commitments after the first episode.
0: So Mark Hamill, of course, took over and did such a fantastic job too. Yeah, I'd say he did a a decent job. Just, yeah. Yeah, just the greatest voice
1: ever. It's just, yeah, no, he just totally embodies the Joker. He makes anyone else doing the Joker just look pathetic. Except for Heath Ledger. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, Heath Ledger did a pretty good job, too.
1: <laughs> yeah. No, Heath, that was, you see, now that's another thing, too, is like, and what I liked about Heath Ledger is like, there, it was just, and, and Rip, you know, and um, the latest one, too, the latest Joker movie. I thought that was a great take. I, but, you I, know, not, but no one's, no one's even attempting to try and do Mark Hamill. No attempt at all. They're, they're just going, they're just going somewhere else.
0: That's ho- that's something I hope to see in the, the new trilogy. Like, I'd really like to see Mark Hamill play Joker in live action. Like, I think that would be really cool. That's something, it's like, that's
1: another thing going to, uh, I've said this before, I can't say it enough. One of the great joys in my life is, uh, being able to go to the recording and especially on Harlequinade. I mean, Mask of the Phantasm, awesome. Yeah. But Harlequinade, and Harley's Holiday, when you see Mark and Arlene Sorkin acting Harley and Joker together, sitting next to each other. Well, Mark stands because he he can't he can't voice perform sitting down like most of the actors can. He's got to move. And somehow he moves without making any noise with his clothing. It's the, like the slightest paper fluff or whatever in a, in a recording booth. You can hear it. somehow he's. Hands are flying and his face animates, and he's just so much fun to watch. And I really do. It. Well, he played the trickster, which was kind of close. Kind of. Yeah, not quite the same though. No, it's yeah. not the same. And it's not the same. And it's and the Joker really took off when Harley showed up. That
0: dynamic really made the character three, th- totally three dimensional.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And that, and that's something that I always respect the show for, just introducing Harley Quinn. I always thought that was really, really neat. Yeah. yeah. No, no, that,
1: that
0: was like a, no, that, that was, that was like a
1: great thing. <laughs> I mean, Harley, it's, it's like, uh, Paul Dini came into my office one day and he just goes, you remember, uh, Cesar Romero? As the Joker, and I said, yeah, of course, man. Caesar Merrill's like awesome. He said, yeah, you always had a girl in the gang. It was like, he had a gang, like four or five guys, but there always that, was that one mall. You always had a mall. It was always that, gee, Joker, what do you think? You know, there's always that one girl in the gang.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Joker needs a girlfriend. You know, then next thing you know, he's created Harley. And, uh, man, that's, <laughs> it's just like, and she just showed up and flashed out. And it's like, you're just wondering, it's like, well, why was this missing before? Yeah. You know, the Joker just didn't work as well without her.
0: No, I'd say he still doesn't. Like, I'm still waiting for a live action Harley Quinn with that Joker dynamic in a Batman movie. I know we've gotten Suicide Squad, but that was just weird.
1: Oh, no, it didn't, didn't quite work. I mean, I mean it, it didn't. It, it, in Suicide Squad, I just was, I, I don't know why that, I didn't get the feeling that this is, there was a relationship there, you know? They, Not that it's badly acted. I mean, it's all, they're all good actors. It's just, I didn't get it, you know? I, I, I don't, I don't know why would this chick, you know, be falling for this guy. The, the teeth.
0: No, the teeth were weird.
1: It was, yeah, it was just I don't weird. Know. I don't know. I just don't know why. Now the Harley, the, the Harley cartoon that's on right now. Mm-hmm. Watch that.
0: I've seen quite a bit of it. Yes.
1: Yeah. That relation that works. That one's actually quite funny. I, I, love, I love that show. It goes, it goes way over the top, but I think, you know, that that relationship between the Joker and her. And I especially liked in that first episode where Batman, you know, and Harley are trapped, and the Joker has to make the choice. He says, well, (laughs) he doesn't even blink, you know, he doesn't even bat an eye. I thought that was great. Yeah. I love that show. It's just so funny. Yeah. No, that's like, so there's there's another good version. And and just how in that one, the broad comedy show, they, you know, the Joker and her relationship with the Joker is essential. Right. Without that, none of it happens. Yeah. And it's like, and it's, you know, Ivy helping her out along the way, you know, trying to find yourself. It's really, it's really a good dynamic. It is. And it's very, and it's funny. Right.
0: (laughs) And terribly politically incorrect, but it's great. It's fun. Yeah. (laughs) Well, um, I guess moving back to Batman what were some of the challenges you faced? Like you mentioned arguments earlier, but were there anything like specifically that stood out, um, like directing such an iconic character? Well, um, finally
1: trying to get it right. you know, just trying to get it right. It was like a challenge. uh, Cause early on the scripts were mm, goofier. Um, yeah. the, the, the original story editor had a different idea, more along the lines of what was regular standard for Saturday morning at that time. Although, although the show was primetime originally, two, both. And then it became the afternoon show every day of the week. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, like there, there was just a, uh, it was a little bit more goofy, the attitude. It was more close to um the Adam West Batman to begin with. Um When we would work on the scripts, we would change it up, which would lead to arguments and stuff about what's getting cut out and all that. But what we were doing was like we were trying to go with that serious uh Dark Deco version of Batman. More like the, you know... You know, just a more serious version. Um, and then when Alan Burnett came on board, there was no, never any fight there anymore. It was done. You know, he was totally in, in, on board. Although he'd previously done ducktails and goofy cartoons at H&B. Yeah. But he was like one of those guys that you never realized it, but he was waiting for that chance to really tell real stories, you know? Yeah. And he did, you know? Anyway, that that was that was a struggle at first, but it it, you know it 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 started to work much more smoothly after we got the stories. The writers really wanted to do the same thing that the artists did.
0: Yeah, that teamwork makes the dream work. Yeah, teamwork. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Well, Grant, what what you got next, man? I think. Yeah,
2: so what was your favorite episode that you directed of Batman, the animated series?
1: That's really rough. That is, that's just, like, that's an impossible question to ask. Because, <laughs> I, I mean, I love Harley's Holiday. You know, I think the animation on that came out great. But then again, Harlequinade has, like, the best ending. Of any show, you know, where the Joker's just like, baby, you're the greatest. Yeah. Just And the Joker, I got to do like the Joker in a flight, World War One flight suit, flying a Martin bomber, you know, with the twin Lewis machine guns. Yeah, that's great. And then there's like, but then there's showdown. And showdown, it's like, I got to do Jonah Hex. And, uh, you know ironclad dirigibles it's unbelievable and then you know Rachel ghoul and it's like oh no no Rachel ghoul it's like i got to do the Rachel ghoul demon's quest with one of my heroes danny o'neill actually wrote the script wow you know who created the character that's another thing and then there's on leather wings you know i uh, saw so, see it's impossible yeah and then there's Mask of the Phantasm but that doesn't
0: count <laughs> uh,
1: <laughs> cuz that's a movie it's a different thing
0: right yeah um if you want to we've um we've reviewed Mask of the Phantasm and we I loved it Grant loved it um so what were what were some of the stories that kind of came out of that like what what did you love about it what what were the challenges and that kind of thing
1: oh that was, um, Mask of the Phantasm was actually a feature film that was done on pretty much the same schedule that the uh, series was done. The only thing that I really have to say about that is that I got to do the Joker sequences. Because um, up until that point, if anyone would notice, I never got to work with Mark Hamill. I worked with Tim Curry on the last lap, um, but I never got a Joker you know, episode the whole time. Uh, So when that came around and it's pretty much a Joker, you know, Batman origin story, as well as a Joker origin story, I just told Bruce and Eric, like, please give me the Joker stuff for God's sake. You know, I want to, it's like, I haven't gotten, I haven't done any Joker. And so they, graciously allowed me to direct all the joker sequences and uh that was that was fun that was like that was a really good that was good writing uh that was a really good fleshed out character The only main change i think i made and i I boarded uh, myself what
0: i um i lost connection for a second i'm sorry um it looks like grant heard everything i i apologize It it, started glitching out on me. I couldn't tell if it was just me or everybody.
1: Anyway, keep going. No, that's like, so the one, the only major change that I think that we made in the script was the uh, World's Fair. Um, much more of it takes place at the World's Fair, the old World's Fair. And, you know, and, uh, the end, the script was written more like a Dick Sprang or Jerry Robinson Batman. Mm -hmm where they, they're jumping on all these giant things. And I just wanted to reverse it because I remembered going to the World's Fair when I was in uh, Queens, New York, when I was uh, six. And my parents took me. And the thing that stuck in my mind was the city of the future, that giant miniature city that you actually rode through, you know. And I, as a little kid, I always wanted to just jump off and start stomping around like I'm Godzilla. So, I wanted to have the Joker and Batman fight in the miniature city like they were Godzilla and King Kong.
0: I loved that sequence. That, that was my favorite sequence from the whole movie. Um, yeah. I loved anything yeah. Joker was in. That was amazing.
1: Oh, thanks. And I got to do autogyros. I love autogyros. That's why Rachel Gould flies in an autogyro. Wow.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's. I love that movie. Like I, like I mentioned before we were recording, that was my first Batman movie as a, as a kid. Me and my dad rented it. I think it was Amazon at the time. And he's like, this is Batman. And so I sat down and I watched it and I loved it. And then, um, got the chance to review it for the podcast and I was happy to do that. And then now getting to talk to you, it's like a dream come true. I'm really glad to, you know, (laughs) finally kind of tie the, tie the bow on that story arc.
1: Yeah. Well, no problem. Yeah. It was in the theaters.
0: Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I wasn't around to, I guess, see that. What was that like, having to put something in the theater?
1: Well, we didn't do it for the theater. We actually did it for home video. <laughs> and then Warner decided they wanted to have a theatrical release. So when Bruce and Eric went overseas, I guess they just explained, like, because it was boarded in, like, a little square, you know? television. The television set at that time was a square. Right. Uh, and so it was boarded as a square, but then they kind of stretched the edges out. And, it, and I mean, it, it's fine about fine. It's, oh. I mean, I think it still looks good in, like, the whole theatrical format.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I agree. I, I never would have known. And
1: the story, I think, is much – that's the best origin story, yet, in my opinion. Although I really like Miller's uh, Batman Year One. It was like Miller and Masicelli. I thought that was really good. But I think that uh Mask of the Phantasm, I think our version of Batman Year One was actually, I you don't know, makes more sense. Why would that guy be Batman, you know? Why would you be Batman? You, you know, it's like you you may want to, why come up with that crime fighting way, you know? Yeah. Batman year one, really, I don't know why he would want to be a, such a do-gooder, you know?
0: If anything, you'd think he'd be a criminal.
1: Yeah. In saying that, I still think it's a good comic. I mean, I love it. But, um, I, I, I was really impressed with the, uh, that origin of him. And I love the fact that, um, you have the dynamic of Andrea Beaumont. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the fact that, um, her and Bruce, having similar things happen to them. And Andrea comes back prepared to fight and to get revenge. And Batman's basically all about justice and nothing else. So there's justice and then there's revenge. And it's like Batman knows that once you start killing, you can't stop killing. Wins it's not? And he will never kill. So yeah. that guy, you know, that guy wouldn't, uh, yeah, it's, well, it's the same with the Christopher Nolan movies and stuff. I, I go and I say, I think they're really great movies. I love them. But at the end, when I walk out and I say, I don't know why that guy is Batman, <laughs> you know, <No. laughs> like he just as soon kill you as like look at
0: you. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> it seems like that anyway. Right. Yeah. Well, that's, um, that's really amazing and i'm I'm really glad to finally hear that story um Grant, I think you have one more question right uh yeah, I think you kind of blended
2: my one of my two into that one
0: i think I think you're right actually yeah,
2: yeah the other question one of them I had was just what were some of the challenges you faced while working on Master the phantasm
1: well no, that that was them <laughs> yeah <laughs> it was it really master the phantasm wasn't um really tougher. Um, although, and I probably could dig up the storyboard somewhere. One thing that I, that I miss that was boarded in Mask of the Phantasm, but was taken out of the time. Um, because again, it was locked down. You know, it's like feature length is, they were very sticklers. It's like you couldn't go over the length. It had to fit. I think it was. 80 minutes. I think it was 80 minutes, right? And there, that was a hard ending. So there had to be edits. Um, but one thing that I really, really wish they could have kept was like, you remember Batman on the, in the jetpack, the Joker's on the jetpack and he's going to escape and Batman climbs on. And he says, you know, he's like, let go or we'll both die. And he says, whatever it takes. And he just won't let the Joker go and they crash into the globe. Mm-hmm. And they come busting out the other side of the globe. Originally, what happened is now Batman's all sliced up and bleeding to death. You know, he's already been, he's injured. He's, he's a mess. So they slam into there. And what happens is they go into one side of the, of the globe and then you cut inside and the Joker's there and he's messed up. And he's got this burning rocket pack on his back. And Batman's laying down there, and he's messed up and bleeding and just barely hanging on. And the Joker can't move. The Joker's just, you know, he can't move. He's unconscious. His eyes are crossed. And Batman gets up and crawls over to the Joker, undoes the burning, you know, the jet pack that's burning. He's going to kill the Joker and then he grabs the joker and drags him to safety and the joker that's when the joker says his line i'm stuck without another pump without a punchline." and then once batman with his last ebbing strength drags him and drops him joker's like you know looks over at batman and just smiles at him like oh, i love you so much and he pulls out a knife and he starts crawling over to stab Batman. <laughs> he can't help himself. I just gotta do this. And that's when Andrea Beaumont shows up. So all of that was cut out. So it goes like where he just slams to the ground and that's it. You
0: know, and then Andrea Beaumont shows up. That would have been a really cool sequence to see animated out. Like I, I agree. Yeah. I, I hate that was cut. Well it was it was
1: storyboarded out, but I mean there's that's just typical. There's uh there was more auto gyros, more slicing and dicing of Batman, and there was more of a fight in the uh city.
0: Uh-huh. You
1: know, Like for instance the uh Chrysler building, you know, the spike where Joker actually goes and tries to stab Batman. Mm-hmm. Originally he stabbed Batman through the shoulder. <laughs> oh Lord. <laughs> yeah. And then, but then, you know, so that beat got taken out. So he just stabs and kicks and mean, Batman, Batman kicks him in the jaw because when he stands up, he actually pulls the spike out of his shoulder. But that was just another thing that was edited out.
0: Well, I guess that was probably a little too heavy for a PG kids movie. Uh, uh, not, not really. It was really a uh, time. They were,
1: they huh? were, there was like just, they start at that point, you know, I kind of wish that one of the flashbacks was trimmed down to allow more of that stuff. Cause there really wasn't any objection to the, to those moments. It really oh. wasn't. <laughs> yeah. Ah. Uh, they were just for, they were looking for places, uh, to take some time out. You know, so things had to go. I wish one of the re, one of the flashbacks was just, just one of the flashbacks but the flashbacks were also important and integral to the
0: story. Yeah. So maybe maybe one day you'll get your Altieri cut on HBO Max and you can flesh all of it out.
1: Yeah, I don't know. So you're showing the storyboard probably. I could find the storyboard, but that was never animated. They they cut that out before everyone ever Although there was one pool of blood when he, when Batman comes out of the, uh, when he's going after the Joker and the Joker's putting on the back, uh, rocket back. Um, there is one shot of like blood dripping down on at Batman's feet that was cut out. They did take that one. Out. That
0: oh. was just too. I can, <laughs> I can understand why. <laughs> well, anyway. Yeah. Well, Grant, I, I know now you have one more. Um,
2: yeah. So the last question we have is what can you say about the project you're currently working on?
1: Well, which one of those? <laughs> Either or both or? Um, yeah, no, no there, there's one that I can't really talk about. Um, it is a, I'm doing with my partner, Bill. Um, and that one is, uh, you'll hear about it soon enough, but it's, um, Signed, well, it's, it's a horror action adventure feature. Um, and that, that's all I'll say about that one. But I think one that I've been working on, um, and actually is starting to, uh, come, it's like, I'm just starting. We're just doing development right now. Um, but, uh, Sam Humphrey is attached, uh, Killer Ball. And we got Sam Humphreys attached. You know, he's like he's gonna be wants to do voice acting and he's really he's really good. Huh? And uh yeah, no, and and I'm working with Gary Wolf, who wrote um he wrote the script. It's based on a novel that he wrote. It takes place in the future, kind of like a Blade Runner future, and Killer Bowl is the sport of the future. And uh Sam's character basically is a Combat veteran that gets into this game, which is kind of like a cross between American football and UFC. Wow. Yeah. I, it I, place I, in a future world, kind of, uh, kind of reminiscent of Blade Runner. Um, of course, you know, we, we, again, we're just designing it now, just getting started. Um, so that, that's, that's coming up and that actually looks to be like a, a lot of fun.
0: I will be checking that out when it comes out. I'm I'm looking forward to it now. Um, yeah. Gary Wolf, he did um Roger Rabbit, right? Yes, that's his.
1: Yeah. yeah, and another project that um I was talking to Gary about doing, and uh I believe I believe Sam is attached that one is Ranger Raccoon, which is another. It's kind of a take. Um, it's it's kind of what you'd more expect from the creator of Roger Rabbit. Um, but it is actually much more of a science fiction futuristic story again. Um, yeah. not, not, not far in the future, not like in outer space or anything like that, but it's a world where, uh, you know, where animalistic creatures, you know, interact with humans and it's normal. Wow. <laughs> of course, I have to reread the script and I'll you know, come back to you again, but, but, that's kind of the pitch
0: right now. That's, it's amazing. Um, well, thank you so much for coming on. Um, we, we'd love to have you back on again sometime. And I really appreciate all your wealth of knowledge and expertise in, in these fields. Um, is there any place that you want our listeners to be able to find you or, um, like you know, social media or whatnot? Know. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm on Facebook,
1: um, Instagram, Facebook, you know. I'm not like a really. I mean, I do post things on Facebook. Um, I'm not really a big Instagram person, you know. It's like mm, I'm the previous generation from you guys. You know, I remember when phones used to be attached to walls and stuff. You know, dial. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I remember the world before there was even VHS. Ah, <laughs> wow. so. Yeah, so I'm not, I'm not like the the big internet person, but uh, but I'm, but I'm
0: on there. All right. Well, Grant, do you want to tell them where they can find us? Um.
2: Yes. Uh, you can email us if you want to be on the show. If you have any suggestions for stuff we should watch, you can email us at muchtalkaboutnothing at gmail dot com. We're on Instagram at much about nothing, and we're on Twitter at n t a n podcast.
0: Yep, and if you want to leave a review, you can do that at ratethispodcast.com slash much talk. And for Kevin and Grant, I have been Grant, and we will catch you next time.
1: Adios.